Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So welcome to church today. Tell someone around you, welcome to church here across the camps. If you're not seated yet, you can grab a seat and uh, grab a seat before I fall off and break my neck today, because this is uh, where we left off in our conversation last weekend. You remember the ladders last weekend? Talking about the reality that, that there is a competition for your heart, for your worship. What gets first and best in your life? And the complexity of this conversation is it's so sometimes so hard to tell where you sort of lean and where you put your faith and your, your trust and your hope and we talked last weekend about the Israelites and Mount Carmel. I mean, if you missed last weekend, hop on YouTube or our website, catch up. I can't, I don't want to spend the whole time to catch you up, but this whole conversation started with the Israelites going, I trust God, sort of, but I also trust Baal, which was an idol back then. And they were like straddling between the two, like, God, if you'll send rain, cool. If you'll send rain, cool. I'll sort of hedge my bets. And this is where a lot of us sit. I've sat here for seasons of my life. But Jesus says things like this in the Gospels. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Someone say heart. Someone say heart like you mean it. Somebody say heart. Good morning. It's still in, we got an hour more sleep still. It's still time change season. All right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and with all your strength. See, Jesus doesn't separate us into like compartmentalized things. We're a whole person, a whole being. And he speaks to the most practical places. And he says, listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And there's so many things competing for our heart and our worship, which is why in Proverbs, it just gives us a caution. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Meaning if this is off, Everything in your life will be off. If this is right, you probably won't be perfect. I've met you. But if this is right, it cascades into every part of your life that, that this is where it all starts. And we introduce this thought of lordship. And that's sort of a churchy word, lordship. But the thing about lordship is that it's absolute. I've heard it said by old preachers, <laughs> If the Lord is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. It's an absolute statement. In fact, here's how Scripture says, this is what is already true of who Jesus is in Philippians. Therefore, this is my favorite passage of Scripture. Therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. That is who Jesus already is. We're not asking the question, is Jesus Lord? He is. We're asking the question, is Jesus Lord of your life, of my life. 
And, and, and as I talk about lordship, that passage talks about acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's the framework for our conversation. You see, lordship is going to acknowledge three things. If you're taking notes, this is a lot. Maybe if you want to take your phone out and have a picture, that's fine too. Lordship acknowledges three things. That first, that God purchased us for a price through his son, Jesus. This is the gospel, by the way. None of us are good. None of us are worthy. None of us can make our way back to God. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And therefore, we honor him. Secondly, God owns it all. If he purchased you through Jesus, he still got the receipt. He still owns you. He owns it all, which actually protects us. And we'll unpack that. And then surrendering our first and best to God is actually what produces freedom. See, around here, we say that we, we exist so that people can know God and then find freedom and discover their purpose and live a life that makes a difference. When we talk about finding freedom, giving God our first and best is actually how we begin to find this freedom. And, and it's why we created a three-week devotional. We're calling it a lordship devotional. <laughs> because you don't just need to hear me talk. You need to sit inside the word and let God talk to you. See, one of the biggest questions I get from people as a pastor is, how do you hear from God? You ever thought that? You don't have to raise your hand. Like, I, I remember I used to hear Kevin come on stage, Pastor Kevin, our founding pastor, and he'd say, like, I heard from God this week, and I'd be like, really? How, how do you do, can I tell you? He talks to you through his word. This is living and active. And we want to create a three-week journey for you where you, Monday through Friday, you will walk through. We designed this devotional and created it for you to just say, God, if you're Lord, what does it look like for you to be Lord of all areas of my life? And if you want to be a part of that, you can text the word Devo to 37748. You can do it right now. It won't offend me. Text the word Devo, which is when I was growing up in youth group, that's what we used to call devotional time. Like, I'm going to do my Devos. Anyone? How do you know you grew up in the church when you use the word like Devo? That was me. If you're new to the church, not everything we do is that cheesy, but text Devo to 37748. We want to invite you into this three-week journey of lordship because we believe that God wants to speak to you through his word. And there might be places where the spirit of God just goes, I'm not first and best here. And the spirit of God will help you correct that drift because listen, when lordship of Jesus is settled in your life, it starts to settle everything else. So let me, just, let me just say it this way. Is Jesus Lord of your thoughts, of your relationships? If you're a follower of Jesus, does it change how you date? It better. Does it change how you parent, how you do marriage? If he's Lord of your life, it should. Is Jesus Lord of your emotions, how you feel, how you let yourself stew of your anger, come on somebody, anybody, Jesus help me, of your anger, of your calendar, is Jesus Lord of your speech, the words that you say, is Jesus Lord of your money, like here's the thing, we love to compartmentalize spiritual things and material practical things, but the reality is, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all, and my, my concern for us is that we would call Jesus our Savior, but would we live as if he's our Lord? In the Old Testament, the conversation was about, do they worship God or Baal? I don't know about you. I've never been tempted to worship Baal. Don't even completely know who this cat is. But I'll tell you what does happen. And we had this conversation last week is, do I really worship God or do I worship money? 
And I'm having this conversation of lordship through the filter of money. We're illustrating it with money. Why? Because it's the most frequent way that Jesus illustrated a lordship. Because he knows that unlike most other things, money is the hardest thing to surrender under God's lordship. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Not where your heart is, your treasure will follow. Where you put your treasure, your heart follows behind it like a little duckling behind a mom. Just follows, just where's the, okay, there's my heart. That, that, let, let, me, let me say it this way. Here's a big thought. Stewardship of material possessions is the most important test case of one's profession of lordship. And materialism is the single biggest competitor with authentic Christianity for the hearts and souls of millions in our world today. And can I be honest? That statement rings true for me in my life. Don't hear me stand up here and go, I got this settled, you big dummies. You better fix this. I struggle with it. Can I tell you, when I read the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. You know what brings me joy? Like, if I could go buy a jet ski, I would be so joy. I've heard the joke, like, they say money can't buy happiness. I've never seen someone sat on a jet ski. Have you? Anybody? <laughs> like, 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 it competes with, like, the things that God wants to do for me. And I sit in it and go, I, God, I want to put you first, but it's so tempting to just sort of straddle this ladder of, like, I'll have a little bit of God and a little bit of money, and can't that work? And God's going, I want to be Lord of all of it. And here's what I love. God has already been messing with people this week. Can I warn you? If you want to be comfortable, 12 stones probably not the place for you. Because God has a way of just meddling in stuff. You're like, God, not again. I thought, can we be good? And God's like, I want more of you because I want you to have more of me. And I, I want to keep trading your junk for more of me. And like, if you want to just be comfortable, this place is going to be tough because God meddles and God messes because he loves you enough to not leave you alone. It's like a parent who's so engaged with their kid. Like, you got to break through this. I know what adult life looks like. And if you don't solve this, it's going to. And that's like the, the heart of the father. And God's been messing with people this week. I know it for a fact because I got a text at like 5.45 a.m. this week, middle of the week. 12 Stoner reached out, and I got permission to share his story. He had a dream, and he's not like a mystical person who like has dreams. Like it's not a thing for him. Have you ever had a dream that felt so real that you woke up and weren't sure? Anybody here across Canada? You ever had a dream where it's like, I had a dream that my fly was down the whole time I was teaching, and I woke up in a panic don't, this got weird. Anyway, so I had a dream that, so, so, so his dream this week was so vivid. And the dream was that a flood came and wiped out his career, his house, his cars, his bank account, his 401k. He couldn't find anybody, had no cash in his pocket, was stranded, was hopeless, did not know what to do. And he woke up, not feeling, huh, and he woke up. And he, like, it was so vivid and so real that he ran to his office and opened up his laptop and started logging into his bank to make sure his bank account wasn't at zero because it was so real. Started pulling up his 401k and investments account to make sure they had not been wiped out, zeroed out. It's 5.30 in the morning, and he, he wanted to make sure everything was good. There was an investment account that had been sold to different companies over the last 10 years. 
couldn't even find the username and password. He's on customer service at 530 in the morning to get a login name so he could make sure his stuff was in order. And he finally realized, oh, it was a dream. Everything's fine. Shut his laptop and went, Whew. He had just a whisper at his heart where God just sort of went, son, I thought we were past this stuff. See, he's walked with God for decades. And it was like God just had a kind fathering conversation going, son, how come when you thought you lost everything, the first place you ran was your bank account and not your prayer room? And as we talked on the phone this week, it was like an authentic, he would have said, I settled this stuff years ago. And as he sat in the service last weekend, if we were filling out cards and saying, check the box you're on, this is where he would have said, like, I'm on it. And then this dream happens, and he went, this is, he said, I had no idea how tempting it is to start straddling again. Can we be honest? None of us is beyond this again. None of us, like, graduates to where it's like, I have not a care in the world forever and ever. The, 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 the draw to start straddling and the whisper he got from God was, son, I hate that your first gut-level disposition wasn't to say, even if you lost it all, I got you. And as soon as he found out his bank accounts were secure, he was secure. 12 Stone, I love that I got that story this week because it is so human, isn't it? And by the way, faith doesn't mean you don't check your bank accounts ever. That's foolishness. That's how you lose your house, right? Like, you should know how things are coming in and out and spending. This is not like a, a Pollyanna pie in the sky. Never check your bank account. Jesus has it under control. I'm deleting mint off my phone. But no, this, that's silly. Stop. What I'm saying is, where do you go first and with your best? Do you run to your laptop or do you run to your prayer room? Do you trust that whatever happens in your bank account, he's got you? Or do we need to see that number, that amount of zeros to sleep at night? Because listen, my heart for you, my heart for this church is that you would lean fully on God so that whatever happens out there to you, through you, in your world, as things get shaky, because no one knows what the future holds. But as things get shaky, when the stock market shakes, when the news makes you feel like the world is shaky, when you hit a rough season, lose a job, a friend, a spouse, and your life shakes, that when the world out there shakes, the ladder you're holding on to will not shake and you will not fall. Because that dream was evidence that if you're straddling and this ladder of money fails you, which it always does, always will, you fall with it. And so my heart today is this. I don't want to assume that we all know the basics of this. I'll tell you what's interesting. This isn't in the notes. It's just interesting to me. As I've sat in this seat as senior pastor for now like 93 days or something. Because by the way, Pastor Kevin comes back for his first time next weekend. 100 days. It's been 100 days already. Crazy. Um, thank you for not clapping. Can I tell him you didn't? <laughs> don't, don't clap. I can't wait to tell him. If you're watching, they didn't even clap, dude. Anyway. So happy. That was dark. I'm sorry. Stop. Here's what, here's what, thank you. Here's what's interesting. The, the more I've sat inside of this role and had conversations, 
We all know enough about what to do and don't have the underpinning as to why. Like we've lost some of the basics of like, why do we do this stuff? We've done it all so long that we forget why. Like when I'm raising my kids, I'm like, brush your teeth. And they're like, and they do it. And then when I don't tell them, they don't brush it because they don't know why. And I have to explain, like, if you don't, you get cavities and your teeth fall out. And you watch their eyes go like, what, you're, they can fall out? Yeah, they can. Like, they don't understand why. Like, I, I don't want to assume we all know the why behind this whole conversation of lordship. So I'm just going to sort of do a, a 101 theology of lordship and your money. And as you take notes, I pray the Spirit of God just invites you into the basics and really, you know, where the, the absolute wisdom and growth, it comes from the basics. No one graduates beyond the basics. So let me walk through this. The first thing, remember we said that this theology of money honors God, protects us, produces freedom. The first one is that a theology of money honors God. Here's why I'd say it. Money is a good tool, but a bad God. Money is a really great tool to get things done. You work to earn money. You use that money to pay bills, take a vacation, feed yourself, clothe yourself, all the things. Good tool. Really bad God. And here's how 1 Timothy says it. He says it in 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, dare I say shaky, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love the framing of this verse because it doesn't say this. Those who are rich, give it all away and be poor. No. The last word of this is God provides for your enjoyment. Isn't that beautiful? He just says, don't put your hope in it. Because when you put your hope in it, that's how it becomes your God. It says, enjoy what I've given you. Just don't put your hope in it. Don't lean on it like it's your God because it is so uncertain. And we know that money has such a unique way of replacing God because it takes on the nature and characteristics of what God wants to do. When I got it, I feel secure. I have peace and I sleep. When I don't, I feel insecure. I feel chaotic and I don't sleep at night. That's why money is so dangerous. So the first thing it does, man, it's, it's, a, it's a good tool to bad God. And listen, money is neutral. Money's not good or bad. The love of money, no bueno. But money itself is a really great, it's a screwdriver. A screwdriver is not good or bad. Do I use it like in a Dateline 2020 case or do I tighten a screw? It's, it's neutral. How you use it, how you see it. That was weird. Anyway, second thing. It protects us. A lordship theology protects us because, listen, God is the owner and we are stewards. When you realize that God bought you at a price, he owns you. You are his now. There's, the, there's no way to say you're my savior and you don't own me. It's like God bought us at the store and we grab the bag and the receipt and say, got it from here. Thank you. And God's like, wait, 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 wait. Like, I'm, I'm your savior and your Lord. He's the owner. But the beautiful thing is everything we have comes from him. And he entrusts us to steward it wisely, to, to, to take what he gives us, our life, our family, our money, our resources, time, job, talents, IQ, abilities, gifting. Everything is from God. Here's how King David says it in First Chronicles. Everything comes from you, God. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. It's all his 
a lordship theology of your money recognizes it's not mine. And I, I get it because it's so easy to slip into this thought that like, wait a second, but isn't it kind of mine? God, I didn't see you show up and punch the clock at Applebee's waiting tables. Is Applebee's still open? Yes? If We don't know. Someone go to Applebee's so it doesn't close, please. Like, the, the point, like, God, I, I showed up to work. I earned it, and that's true, and you should. But who put breath in your lungs? Who lets your legs work so you could walk to Or Who gave you a brain with some IQ? Like, it all tracks back to him. He's the owner, and we're responsible to steward what he puts in our hands. That's a lordship theology. The third thing is it produces freedom. And listen, God is less concerned. Listen, he's less concerned about how much you have and more concerned about what has you. Because money has this way of we have it until it has us. And the freedom that God has for us is that money doesn't have to own you. See, when God own you, owns you, money can't. It doesn't. God wants to help us cultivate the ability to have money without it having us. And it's not about how much you have. It's less about rich or poor and more about free or captive. And you can be a billionaire that is captive to money. And you can have two nickels to rub together and be captive to money. And you can be a billionaire and be free. And you can be, as my grandfather used to say, poor as Job's turkey. And you can be free. That's a reference to anyway, it doesn't matter. If you're old, you're welcome. That was a shout out to you. See, here's, here's how Hebrews says it. Hebrews 13, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? See, this passage says God wants a freedom that can only come from not loving money, but loving him because money makes you its captive over time where Jesus promises freedom over time. And, and let me make it practical. Like when you establish a lordship theology over your money, your stuff, you, you start to put, <clears throat> you put God first and best and you're freed up to enjoy everything else. Like once you put him first and best, you're freed up to enjoy the rest. I didn't mean to make that rhyme, but you're welcome. Like when you put him first and best, you're freed up to enjoy the rest. Like, like I, can, I can enjoy a family vacation guilt-free because he's already been put first and best in my stuff. He is Lord of everything, and I'm freed up to enjoy a delicious meal or buying a car without the guilt of it all because I'm freed up to enjoy when I've established who really is Lord versus being held captive to this thought that you know that you know that you know that God is not Lord over those things. And giving God your first and best is how you enjoy the rest of everything. And the reality is, the real prison is that money cannot deliver what it promises to you. See, truth be told, money can't buy happiness, but yeah, ha ha, the jet ski. 
you know what? When that jesky gets parked, there's people who have everything I could ever dream of. And when they sit down at night, there's a hollowness, an emptiness to it. Like money won't keep you warm at night. Not in here. Money doesn't give you a purpose bigger than itself. Like it's a, it's a captive thing for us. And I want to invite a whole church to live in such a way that we are freed up from this. So I want to play this out, not through money, but through relationships. Here's the, the, the principle. As long as we, we straddle, we're going to cycle rather than climb. So when you're dealing with ladders, when you straddle, you don't have the ability to climb and build anything with your life in faith or relationship. And the only way you can straddle ladders is by staying shallow. If you want to go somewhere in your faith or a relationship, you can't straddle because it requires you to remove from one to climb the other or vice versa. And, and, and let me just let me take it through through marriage. Marriage feels disappointing sometimes. Don't amen that, gentlemen. Don't do it. Like it, it can feel disappointing. And let me tell you why. Dating is a blast. Being engaged is so fun and exciting. Honeymoon, awesome. And the, that was weird. Don't laugh like that. Um, <laughs> And the first year of marriage can be so disappointing. It was the hardest year for Amber and I. No lie. I'm not making it up for an illustration. That year was terrible. Can I tell you why? Because while you're dating, let's pretend this is single Jason, this is married Jason. While you're dating, you get to have a relationship and still act like you're single. And then you're engaged and it's more serious, but I, I'm in a relationship, but I get to still act like I'm single. Then you get married, and I still try to do that. And I'm like, yes, we're now husband and wife, but video games. Call of Duty, anybody? Praise the Lord. Uh, it's, I, I, I'm married now, but I still I need, I need time with, with the boys all the time. I'm, I'm married now, but I want to spend like I don't have someone else to provide for. I'm married now, but can it all still be about me? And, and I've seen people married for 20 years that have the depth and maturity of a first-year married couple, because they do this 20 times. Year one, a little selfish again. All right, come back. Year two, a little selfish again. Year three, you can be married 20 years but not have a 20-year marriage because they cycle instead of climb. And the invitation of this conversation is that in your money, in your faith, you only can straddle while you stay shallow. If you want to climb to the places God wants to take you, you have to stop straddling and climb, not cycle. It's why when Amber and I settled that God gets our first and our best, we climbed that rung of the ladder and we don't look back. Because I don't want to cycle back down again in my faith and now I'm back over here again. It's never occurred to some of us that God wants to help us break through the next rung of the ladder and not look back again. That he is all we cling to. And the only way to climb is to truly cling to him. The only way to straddle is to cycle. And if I could tell us the one thing that I think God would use to grow us up is that we stop cycling. We stop staying shallow and we say, God, I want to trust you fully. 
And if you, if you treat your marriage like you're single, you're in a lot of trouble. What is an affair other than you being married and acting like you're still single? Listen, if you treat your, your, your money like you, you are God, you're in a lot of trouble. See, once I'm certain that Amber is mine, I have to divorce from single Jason to marry her. And listen, once you are certain that God is your Lord, you have to divorce from money being your God. Marry that. God, you are my God. And going up the ladder is because we've placed our certainty and our trust in him. So I want to I wanna get really practical because I think, again, I don't think we know the basics and the underpinning in Scripture for why Jesus had so many of these conversations and what God wants to invite us <clears throat> into. And so I want to give us sort of like four steps of first and best. Like, how would you start? Like, I don't know where you're starting from. I don't know what your theology has been. I don't know what your upbringing has been. I don't know what your intellectual understanding has been. I don't know what your obedience has looked like. Most of us are, are educated about, uh, beyond our obedience. So that's probably most of us, myself included. I don't know where you're at, but I want to help you know where you need to find yourself in this and let the Spirit of God invite you to take your next step. That's it. There's no guilt. There's no weirdness. This is a freed up conversation. And so I want to give you sort of the start of this is prayer in Scripture. The foundation of all of this is God's Word and God's Spirit. And again, helpful reminder. If you haven't texted Devo yet, I'm going to ask you, would you spend three weeks and let God speak to you through Scripture? Don't take my word for it. This is a lordship season where I think God wants to get your first and your best. But here's, here's the four steps. Here's the first thing. How do you break this, this cycling of the ladder? You have to give something. Got quiet. Again, I'm going to say it out loud because I just don't like eggshells. I do not care about dollar bills. I care about your heart. I just know our heart's so connected. They're inseparable. And, and I want you to understand, if you give a dollar bill, a nickel, a penny, I don't care. This is a massive first step in the kingdom of God. The difference between living on 100% of everything God's given you and living on 99.9999999% is massive. For the first time, you trusted God with that much. That's a huge step. And for those of you who are like, I've never even considered this, your first step might be that small, and God sees it, and you're progressing. And God wants to grow us up inside of this second step. Give something, then it goes to give intentionally. And now it moves from like, I'm going to give something to like, I'm intentionally going to put God into my budget. Again, back to the dating or the marriage illustration. It's the difference between, ladies, you can tell me if this is true. It's the difference between a meeting that I had for dinner canceling and me texting Amber and going, hey, let's, uh, if you want to meet up, I, I just got my time freed up. Versus, hey, I've planned something and two weeks from now we're going to do this. You see the difference? Ladies, my yes? If not, your husband's not going to do this stuff. So, hey, you're freed up, guys. Ladies, you see the difference? One is like, something happened, let's go do something. The other is like, you're a priority in my life. And some of us, your next step might be like, God, you're going to have a spot in my budget where I'm pre-deciding you have this much, God. And it's a massive next step. 
And then the third step, if we're sort of climbing up, would be give a tithe, 10%, which historically has been the, the starting line for a biblical worldview of lordship with your money. See, Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And this 10%, the word tithe literally means 10. And it started back in the Old Testament and, and in the New Testament, the, the bar gets way higher, but it's sort of a benchmarking place. Like if you're a follower of Jesus that has some maturity in your life, this is a benchmark place to say, God, this is yours. That's why we say we return the tithe. You don't even give the tithe. You return it. Because newsflash, he owns it all. It's all his. And when we bring this back, this 10% tithe back, we're saying, God, you are getting not just a random 10%, the first 10%, the best 10%. And you go, I could never do it. It's legalism. It's legalistic. It's not legalism. It's lordship. It's how you break the chains of money being your God is that you return it back to him. And this is not for him. This is for us. This is the journey and progression of how God helps you climb the ladder and stop cycling. The last one is that you give whatever he asks. And can I be honest? This, that's the most costly and free place to live. That listen, you put things in order, you journey, you start to cross the threshold of what we would call sort of the floor of God. You get the first and best 10%. And now you begin to live in a way where you say, God, it's all yours. If you ask, I say yes. If the Lord has need for it, I just say yes. And there's seasons where God doesn't ask. I love those seasons. <laughs> and there's seasons where God just says, hey, son, I want you to do this. For me, it was the next, the next gen offering we just did. Like God asked me to do something that made me uncomfortable. And I wrestled with it. And I'm like, oh. I don't, I wish I could say I graduate beyond that, but it's, it's a very personal and intimate thing when God asks you to give past the first 10%. In fact, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8 says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Pause. Don't give out of compulsion. Meaning this. I, I'm not putting a guilt trip. Also meaning this. You can't buy your way back to God. Don't misunderstand me. There is no number you can give to God that will buy your salvation. That is free. He paid it all. And you don't have to pay any part of that tab. But once you recognize Jesus as Savior. The response is next. Well, of course he's Lord. And then God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And that scripture has been taken out of context probably more than most scriptures. This is not a conversation that if you give, God will make you rich. False. Like if you hear something that says that, run. If 11 of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus died in horrific ways, the guarantee of the gospel is not that if you give God this, he'll sow a seed and tenfold down. False. If anything, it's very costly. But equally, there is something supernatural about God having lordship over something. Because when he owns something, 
He's responsible for it. When you own something, you're responsible for it. It's why I drive a rental car like I stole it. Because I'm not responsible to fix it. I'm pretty certain that I've been responsible for a dozen set of tires on rental car companies. Because I don't drive my car that way. Because i got to fix it. See, when when you own it, you're responsible for it. When it's under his lordship, he is responsible for it. And there's a place where you can live where you can say, God, I'll give whatever you ask. In fact, there's a whole, like, there's, you might not have known this, there's a whole volunteer team here of people called legacy builders that this is all they do. Their spiritual gift is giving, and they absolutely love to be like, all right, tell us what the vision of the church is, and then let me go ask God if he wants me to give. And our, our language to legacy is always, uh, God decides the vision, you decide the speed of the vision. It's really not icky, it's beautiful. There's a whole group, several hundred people, that that's how they surf here. Isn't that awesome? That they live in a way where they're like, you just tell me and I'll, I'll, I'll give. It's not an icky or weird thing here. And God wants to invite us to progress into this. And the last thing that I want to just speak directly to, because this is the other place we get hung up, is why does God tell us to give our first and best to him through a local church? Let's just get real honest. You'll, you'll get to know this about me. I don't, I don't do like plastic eggshell sort of stuff very, very well. Like I don't, I don't do well like pretending to a fault. Like sometimes I'll overshare and you've heard that before and you'll hear more in the future. <laughs> Welcome to 12 Stone. I'm not ignorant of the fact that there has been a distrust in giving money to the church in America. Can, you, can we just have honest conversation? And it's not completely unearned either. You've heard the stories, you've read articles, you've seen gross stuff. We're blunt, to be really blunt, there are pastors who get rich off the church. And I think that breaks the heart of God. And if I'm really blunt, it makes me sick and angry. So it's not completely unearned. But that also doesn't change the fact that this is how Jesus created the church. All the way back to Acts 4, where the followers of Jesus are starting to see an organizational maturity in the early church, where it starts to grow. Like in one day, 3,000 people get saved and baptized. You better get some organization, right? That's a lot of people. We got to start figuring this thing out. And so people start selling their things and bringing possessions and laying them at the apostles' feet and saying, all right, this is what I'm bringing so we can build this church thing. Like it goes all the way back to, to that. It's fundamental to how the life of a believer lives and how the church works. It, it, it also requires us, like when I read Malachi 3, bring all your, your, your money into the storehouse, it means that we had better run a pretty tight storehouse here. And if you know me, I'm the cheapest person on the planet. If you actually know me, the amount of clothes I wear that are Costco, and I love them. My wife does not. I love them because they're comfortable and they're cheap. I don't care. But there's, there's an expectation that my responsibility is to be accountable to God and our church with how we spend. See, we live 10, 10, 80 right here at the church. The first 10%, our first and best, the first 10% that comes in through tithes and offerings goes out into the community. Serving under privilege, serving our ministry partners, serving people, serving other churches that don't do anything to benefit us. They just point people to Jesus that don't know him yet. Then the second 10%, we set up aside as a stewardship margin so that when things get shaky, we're not foolish. And then we live on 80% of what comes in. 
You, you need to know that. Secondly, we have outside independent people audit our books every year. And it is a grueling, our CFO, Anthony, I know when it's audit season because he looks like he needs a nap at all times of the day. They look at everything, every part of our books, because we don't have things to hide and we don't want to become what has hurt so many. All that happens, not, this is not me going, we're good, wink. It's other people that do this for a living. It's our responsibility to live that way. And, and I, I want you to do this. We, we do this because we want to be a place that you can trust to give to. And I believe this so deep in my core that I want to say it this way. If you attend here and there's a check in your gut that you don't feel like you can trust this church to give your first and best to God to, I honestly mean this not like in a arrogant way, but in a truly humble way. If you don't trust this place as the place to bring your first and best, I would rather you find another church where you can then stay here and not get this lordship thing right. Because it's so core to lordship that God gets the first and best in every part of your life. And let me just last group and we're going we're gonna to be done. If you are in the group that was hurt by another church in the area of finances, sadly, this has happened enough that like there's groups of you. First of all, I, I, I'm sorry and I hate that. And I want to remind you that even though it didn't go the way you wanted it to or prayed for it to, God saw you and you didn't give to that leader. You gave to God. In fact, <clears throat> when, when Jesus talks about the widow's might, remember the story where the, all these rich people are putting money in the offering plates at the church and the widow brings these two tiny little mites and Jesus says, she gave more than all of them. Jesus called her offering good and she was giving to the corrupt temple the place where Jesus was going to flip tables and say, get out of here, you den of robbers. She was giving to a corrupt place and Jesus called her offering good. If you were in a place where another church hurt you from that, if your heart was right, if it came from a heart of first and best, you didn't give to them, you gave to God. That's the beauty of this whole thing. So a biblical theology of lordship and money, it honors God, it protects us, and it produces freedom. And my heart for our church is that as God would get a hold of us and as we would put him first and best, we would be honoring God. We would be protected from materialism and that we would have a freedom like no one else because we sit under the almighty hand of God. And if you're a student, my goodness, if God would help you settle this young, I remember getting my first check and realizing what taxes were and thought, I will never have enough to eat ever. And then my parents go, all right, first 10% goes to God. And I go, it already went somewhere. I only had the 10%. And when I was 15 years old, God helped to put that in place. And I can honestly tell you, I've never looked back. And I've, I'm so grateful for parents that helped me do that. Parents, if you're not helping your kids in this, See, the conversation today is, it's really not about finances. It's about first and best. It's just that finances are the hardest place to do it. I'm so quick to give them the first and best in my prayer or my time. I'm so quick to give them my first and best in my worship through singing, clapping. But man, first and best in my finances. 
See, this is not a banking issue. It's a worship issue. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we can just pause right here and go, just want you to know there's a God who loves you. And he bought you. If you would bow to him, you could experience this salvation through Jesus. And that's all he wants is your heart. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if you call him Savior, I legitimately, I just don't know. How, how can we trust him with our eternal salvation and not with our material finances? And my insecurity as a leader is that the moment I have a conviction, I can share it with you. But then when I ask you to do something with it, people are so quick to assign a motive. And so I get so insecure. I've been asked more times than I can count this week. So is the church doing okay financially? I'm like, yeah, why? Well, why are you doing this here? Oh, you assigned a motive? No. This is not about raising funds. It's about creating people that see God as their Lord. See, I, I just want you to have a moment with the Lord because I know that God's been messing with people this week and he's going to keep messing with them next week. It's why even though Pastor Kevin's going to teach next week and I'm coming back to just set up the offering moment because I so believe that there are things and strongholds that God wants to break in us that if we would get Lordship first and best right in our finances, it would cascade into every part of our life. There's things we're holding back that if God, if you just trust God with it. So here's what we're going to do. Many of you give online. If you're watching at home, you can do that. We're going to receive the offering in a minute. But before we get there, I want to create space. Ask Cam to come out. I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to give you a question to sit before God and ask him. I'm going to give you two. And I give you a little bit of space. Because this is not a conversation between you and I. This is not agreement between you and I. This is not a contract between you and I. This is an invitation between you and your Father in heaven. So I want us to bow our heads and just have some space. And here's the first thing. If you do this, man, I think God wants to speak to us. Is there any place in your life where God is not getting your first and best? Money, time, calendar, relationships, the things you say, the things you think, your budget. Where is there any place? Would you just ask him, God, is there any place that you, I'm not giving you my first and best? Take 30 seconds and let him speak here across the campuses. Cam, lead us.
second conversation I want you to have with your Father in heaven. If God's put a spotlight on somewhere he's not getting your first and best, somewhere he's not Lord, would you ask him, God, what is my next step to correct that? Some place you're straddling the ladders, some place that you're not surrendered, some place where he's not first and best. God, just ask him this, God, what is my next step? What would you ask me to do next? Maybe it's a conversation with your spouse tonight. Maybe it's something preparing for next weekend, something where you have to just settle it between you and God, some practical thing he wants you to do. Just take 30 seconds. God, what is my next step to correct a place where you're not first and best? Can't lead us. Love you. What a picture of lordship, God. I surrender all. So easy to sing, so hard to live. But God, I pray that you would speak to your children today. And anybody that's a follower of Jesus, that you spoke, I'm not first and best here. God, would you speak to that? Would you invite them in? And God, as we trust you as our provider, our protector, our Lord, and our Savior. Take us to different places, new places in our faith, new places of trust. So God, as we receive the offering in a second, this is all for your glory and honor and your praise. You are worthy of everything. And God, I thank you for the people who have consistently lived first and best for decades in this church. Oh God, the sacrifices they've made to build this church. The people who are followers of Jesus now because of years of that, thank you. For those who have drifted, over this last season and today they're coming back next week they're coming back oh God thank you take them to new places of trust for those who've never even considered this God would you would you draw them in to trust faith and lordship in every aspect of their life in Jesus name so here and across the campuses ushers would you receive the offering in 12 stone once the baskets pass would you stand and worship the Lord of all creation worship well Compares in love. 
of mercy It's just you Count us all your works and wonders They keep going on And on unending Come on, we sing So holy, I am the fame and glory it's just you measureless and saving power your praise goes on and on unending come on we lift it up so holy so holy I exalt you and he's worthy so Let my soul 
Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.